Welcome, everyone. I'm Marilyn Stern, Communications Coordinator for the Middle East Forum. Today we welcome Mr. Sam Westrup, the Director of the Forum's Islamist Watch, who will speak on our topic, the impact of jihadi attacks on the British elections. Also a senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute, Sam formerly served as director of Stand for Peace, a London-based counter-extremism organization. He often appears on radio and television to report on current events, including the BBC, I-24 News, Al Jazeera, and Sky News. The uptick of lone wolf jihadi attacks across the continent has shifted into a new phase, one security official described as, quote, stray dog attacks where ISIS-inspired jihadis kill non-Muslims in the West with increasingly frequent, albeit small-scale and less organized, attacks using whatever is at hand. A recent series of these stray dog attacks by jihadis in the UK prompted Prime Minister Theresa May to pronounce enough is enough, and there needs to be uncomfortable and often embarrassing conversations about how to combat the single evil ideology of Islamist extremism. Sam Westrup will bring us up to date on the political impact of jihadi violence in the UK and more broadly across Europe and the West. Sam? Thank you. Uh, on the 8th of June, uh, there was an election, and the Conservative Party, which was expected to win by a huge majority, uh, did not. It won 318 parliamentary seats to the Labour Party's 262. This is still a win, but it's what we call in Britain a hung parliament. They don't have enough parliamentary seats to rule effectively. Consequently, the Conservatives entered into a uh, coalition with Britain's really only religious conservative political party, the Democratic Union Party, a Northern Irish group that had fought the IRA during the Troubles uh, in the 1980s and, and 90s. Uh, this call, I will talk about why uh, this election uh, uh, went wrong, what the effect of terrorism was on the British election, what the effect of the election is on counter-terrorism efforts, and very broadly my thoughts on, on what the future will look like. Now, I think this is an important subject because I believe that what happens in Britain, what happens in Europe, is a harbinger for what will happen in America. Europe's extremism problem, Europe's terrorism problem is more developed but I believe it's something America will see in, in, a, in a decade's time, and I think valuable lessons can be learned from, from understanding what is, is going on. Uh, so the first thing to, to look at is, is the election itself. The Labour Party, led by Jeremy Corbyn, very almost won uh, a place in government. It very almost won uh, control of the Houses of Parliament. Now, that could still happen if the current minority government, led by Theresa May, uh, the Conservative Party collapses, uh, and increasingly, uh, lots of people calling for her resignation. Uh, this coalition she's built may fall apart at any time. Uh, if that happens, Jeremy Corbyn could very well uh, come into to office. He could be able to form a minority government of his own, uh, and we would have a man with decades of experience of pandering to terrorist organizations, uh, anti-Semitic movements, anti-Western movements uh, as the Prime Minister of, of Great Britain. This would be, in my opinion, an absolute disaster. Jeremy Corbyn um, grew out of the Trotskyist uh, Marxist left in Britain. There is not a terror group or regime 
he has not flattered, sympathized with, or supported in some way. From his support for the IRA to his description of Hamas and Hezbollah as uh, his friends to his employment by the Iranian regime, his support for Chavez, the list goes on and on. He has a long history of working with any iniquitous regime or group that opposes Western interests. This does not bode well for counterterrorism uh, uh, prospects in, in Britain. Uh, now, we cannot say that of the three terror attacks that took place in the three months before the British election, how exactly how these affected the election and how much they helped or hindered uh, Jeremy Corbyn's surprising success, surprising uh, 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 win in, 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 the, in the British election. This is simply because there are too many other factors. Uh, Britain has just decided a year ago, decided to withdraw from the European Union, one of the, the largest constitutional shake-ups since the Second World War. Uh, we have this enormous problem uh, of austerity politics, they call it in Britain, the clamping down on the welfare state, huge political, religious division, and so on. It is very difficult to tell uh, what effects the terrorist attacks had. Now, the, the third terrorist attack in London, where three men rampaged through uh, near London Bridge, stabbing uh, scores and killing seven, um, uh, took place only six days before, before the, the June 8th uh, uh, election. Uh, it is a mistake to think that terrorist attacks always play into the hand of conservatives. There is uh, the idea that conservative rule, by offering a strong and stable government, somehow benefits from uh, terrorism attacks because uh, they're the ones who seemingly have a, a more hardline solution to the problem. But as we've seen in Europe, this is not always the case. After the Madrid train bombings in 2004, the socialist parties uh, swept, were swept to power. Um, so it is, it is conceivable that Jeremy Corbyn uh, was seen as partly uh, a solution to the problem of terrorism. He made a speech just before the election in which he blamed British foreign policy for growing uh, uh, amount of, of terror attacks. But in reality, I think uh, the, if you look at the demographics or the estimated demographics of after the election, traditional Labour voters, blue-collar, um, uh, working-class, white working-class voters, security is very high on their list, and they did not vote for Corbyn in very large numbers. They switched to the Conservatives, or they did not vote, or they voted for smaller other parties. Jeremy Corbyn's success came not from people who uh, just don't care about, uh, who, who care about terrorism, but decide that Jeremy Corbyn was worth it anyway. It came from people uh, for whom terrorism was, was not a problem. His support came from uh, mostly the young. 45% uh, of, of people between 18 and 24 voted for the Labour Party in 2015. In 2017, under this recent election, it was 66%. Uh, terrorism, anti-Semitism clearly does not matter to a majority of the younger British electorate, and I think that's a very alarming uh, fact and something that I'm feeling very pessimistic about with the, the, the future of Britain. Um, so Jeremy Corbyn did well because he, he made quixotic promises that had very little to do with terrorism. His dismissal of the terrorism threat, his downplaying of the terrorism threat and of the Islamism threat uh, actually served him quite well. There were too many other factors to uh, take into account. Uh, now, as for how this election will change counterterrorism in the future, uh, that is another question. And for that, we should look to the actual government in power, which is Theresa May's Conservatives. Uh, now, after the London attack, Theresa May made a speech, and as, the, as my, the introduction pointed out, she said, uh, enough is enough. 
Well, unfortunately enough, maybe enough, but Theresa May has not offered any concrete solutions as to how enough is enough. Uh, she started the speech by describing the, the Islamist ideology as the key evil which we must defeat, and that's refreshing to hear because too many Western politicians refuse to name the threat we face. But then she said that Islamism is a perversion of Islam and it is a perversion of truth. Um, she made four points about how to defeat terrorism, about how to defeat jihadist attacks, lone wolf attacks uh, in, uh, in, in Britain and in Europe. Firstly, she says, defeat the ideology. She offers no explanation of how. Secondly, she said, and this is an old uh, uh, trope of hers, regulate cyberspace. That's not me paraphrasing, that's a direct quote. She wants to regulate the internet. Um, which I think should worry <laughs> anyone a little committed to free speech, uh, but also, as I'll explain in a bit, is entirely counterproductive. Third, she said, destroy ISIS. That's a vote winner. And fourth, and finally, she said, develop the counterterrorism strategy. She gave, gave go, uh, no details were provided as to how this would be done. So in other words, there are no concrete plans for counterterrorism, for counter-extremism in Britain under Theresa May. Um, the only thing we know, apart from destruction, destroying ISIS, which is a small part of a very big puzzle um, is that she wants to regulate the internet. Now this has been tried before in Britain. In the 1980s the uh, IRA um, IRA leaders were banned from appearing on British television stations. Uh, this was widely derided policy and uh, easily circumvented. Uh, the IRA simply got actors to read out their words in their place and if anything it drew more attention to their cause and it's allowed the IRA to say to young Northern Irish uh, uh, kids they were trying to indoctrinate, look, the British state is trying to suppress your natural right to self-determination of, of self-expression. Theresa May has always had a fondness for censorship as a solution to terror. She was Home Secretary before she was Prime Minister. Her solution to terrorism involved um, things which are still going through the Parliament at the moment, bills that have not been passed yet. But uh, things like the terrorism prevention and investigatory measures, which are uh, orders that allow the government to detain without prosecution, without evidence, people they suspect of, of being terrorists. Uh, other measures include banning designated extremist preachers from speaking in public, on the radio, on social media, without a prior approval from police. Uh, she wants to shut down Twitter pages, she wants to shut down internet pages, and she wants to use the law to force private companies to do that for her. I do not believe this will work. Uh, I think it, I, there have been previous bans on terror groups in Britain, like Hizb and Al-Mujeroon. When they've been banned, they've flourished. I think the same is, the tr is true on, on the internet. And what's more, it's a Sisyphean task. You shut down one web page, another a thousand pop, more pop up. Um, this is a, a, a tactic that looks good on paper. It makes for, for good newspaper headlines. It's a quantitative result, but it's not going to have any real effect. So I fear we face with Theresa May, a prime minister who is good with the rhetoric, but really has no real-world plan to defeat this evil. There is nothing that Theresa May has ever said about, say, the flow of money from the Gulf into British Muslim institutions, the role of Salafi clerics in British prison systems, radicalizing prisoners, the control of taxpayer-funded schools by extreme Islamists who teach them to hate Jews, hate gays, hate the West. This is an existential crisis in Britain, and still politicians can't actually talk about the details or offer solutions. That said, Theresa May's failings are nothing compared to the, the awfulness of Jeremy Corbyn in the threat he poses. As I've mentioned, he has long been a friend of terrorism.
He has long been a friend of vile anti-Semites and supporters of violence against the West. His plan for counterterrorism terrorism uh, uh, is, is pretty much non His only real plan is to shut down the counterterrorism program, or at least investigate it for what he says is alienating Muslim communities. If Jeremy Corbyn forms a government, he will appoint Islamists to key political positions. He will do an enormous amount of damage. He will likely warm relations with Hamas, with Iran, with Hezbollah, with Assad, with, with uh, Qatar. Uh, this, is a this would be a catastrophe, not just for British Jewry and other victims of Islamism, but, but for Britain as a whole. As I say, it's an existential crisis. Um, now, Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May represent Europe. They represent this naivety, uh, this, this denial that uh, pervades throughout the continent, throughout the European Union, uh, throughout almost every country in Europe. At the very least, at the very least, you would have thought, given the large number of attacks now by terrorists who have come from the Middle East, come from North Africa, there will be some real efforts to, to stop or, or impede the flow of, of immigrants from these areas. No one will do this. No one will, will, will step up and do this. And if they can't stop the flow, I mean, one of the London attackers, uh, Rashid Redouan, was, uh, I believe, Tunisian. Um, uh, countless examples before that. If they wouldn't even do this, uh, how are they possibly going to deal with the much more challenging problem of working out how to remain free democratic countries and shut down, stop this ideology, this Islamist ideology that is festering within Western Muslim communities. Europe is stuck and it is, it is, it is, it is destined to fall off the cliff unless real reform, real change can come. But at the moment there is no one, no one in Europe who seems to have the willingness and the, the credibility and the political capital to, to go ahead and, and, and do this. I am very pessimistic about the future of Britain, the future of Europe. I think as Islamist terror grows, we will see, like we did in the attack on that mosque last week in London, increasing uh, counter reprisals by white working class communities against Muslims. I think there will be increasing strife. I think that uh, terrorism will turn into what is will effectively one day be an insurgency. And I think the people who will really suffer from this uh, will be the Jews who are hated by, by both sides. Um, I think that unless Britain and Europe do something radical right now, uh, then there is very little hope for the future of Europe, while its fastest growing demographic uh, sorry, is controlled by Islamists, by Salafis, by hardline Taliban links, people from South Asia. Uh, the same is true across Europe. Uh, this is a very fatalistic outlook. I wish I could be more positive about the, the whole thing. Um, this election has shown just how much denial really drives our entire counter-terrorism, counter-extremism policy. Uh, and I think America has time to do the right thing and to recognize that danger. And Europe shows us what not to do. And I hope, I hope that as Europe collapses, at least America will, will come to the realization uh, that in order to save the West from Islamist extremism, you have to defeat Islamist extremism and you have to prepare to do what needs to be done. Uh, thank you very much. I welcome questions. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Uh, Ellen, if you could please instruct our callers how to dial in. Yes, Ms. Stern. The question and answer period will begin now, and we invite your participation. Please note that when there are no questions in the queue, the moderator will ask a question. To join the question and answer session queue, just press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you wish to identify yourself when your line has been unmuted, please do so. 
And please remember that if you have your phone on mute, take it off mute when you are selected to ask your question. So once again, to join the question and answer session queue, just press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Ms. Stern? Yes. Oh, I saw that we had a caller. Uh, are they still in the queue? I no, they've hung up. Okay. Uh, all right, then. Uh, the question I have for you, Sam, is if there is not the political will, uh, as you mentioned, even despite these uh, terror attacks, are there any um, organizations that are uh, connecting throughout the different countries in Europe to form some kind of a uh, single voice that can put forward the counter message or a message that the governments in those countries uh, will have to listen to. Uh, I know that each country has its own uh, groups. You had your group. Uh, there are others. Uh, what is the um, cohesion amongst them to give a stronger clout to the message? Well, counter-Islamism work in Europe is divided into a number of different networks uh, which virulently disagree with each other on the solution. On the one hand, you have the uh, mix of the far right and what might be here called the alt-right or the populist right, who tend to form groups that will make alliances with existing far right or neo-Nazi parties. Uh, this is obviously distasteful to a lot of people, especially Jewish communities, but also just the center and, and the moderate right. Uh, these are the most organized, though. The, the, the far right-leaning organizations are the most organized. They have created European-wide networks uh, they are, have managed to acquire funding, they're working in tandem, it's, they work. But they are, for the most part, uh, little better than hooligans. Um, their, their protests regularly devolve into violence and chaos. Um, they are not uh, providing an obvious model for Europe. Um, they are merely a reaction to inaction on the part of our government to uh, Islamist terrorism. You can see why they exist, um, but... Uh, they're not a solution. Uh, on them, you also have uh, a small but growing number of moderate Muslim anti-Islamist activists in Britain, groups like the Quilliam Foundation, led by, I'm sure some callers will have heard of Mujib Nawaz, um, uh, about, uh, at least that I know, a good three, four dozen uh, prominent Muslim activists who recognize that Islamism as a whole is the threat. Uh, they are working very hard, and they have some support from the center, from the right, even a few people in the in the left. Um, they are growing in number, uh, and they're beginning to make allies across Europe. But really, their influence is is small compared to the threat they face. And still, with people like Jeremy Corbyn taking control of the left, you know, they will be pushed further and further towards the right, where they will be seen to have even less credibility. Um, so there is, there is really no organized European response to this, save for the mobs, save for uh, just natural anger among the people. Um, I think that will change as it gets worse. My worry, as I said in the talk, is that the way in which it will change is it will devolve into reactional violence rather than, than uh, a concrete plan to, to stop the, the Islamist onslaught in Europe. Thank you. Go ahead, Ellen. And we'll take our first telephone caller now. If you wish to identify yourself, please do so when your line is unmuted. Go ahead with your question, please. Thank you, Marilyn. 
This is Margot Einstein from Newton. Sam, congratulations. I read in the Daily Caller that Middle East Forum research found that a parliamentary candidate for the city of Luton, Ashik Ahmed, had posted overtly anti-Semitic views on social media. He published photoshopped pictures of Israeli politicians drinking children's blood, etc. Ahmed was a candidate for the Liberal Democrats, Britain's fourth largest political party. And after um, the Daily Mail published your research, the Liberal Democrats suspended him immediately, suspended his candidacy. Victory! <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hopefully there will be more. So what has been the response to that, Sam? Well, it was very interesting. Uh, as as, as Margot uh, pointed out, we, we gave this research to the British media. The British media reported it. And within two minutes of the, the I spoke to the journalist, uh, the journalist of the Daily Mail, he rang the Liberal Democrats, who's Britain's third, fourth biggest party. And within two minutes of showing them the information, they had decided to get rid of this this guy, get rid of Ashok Ahmed. That, in contrast to the Labour Party, which may be running Britain's next government within the year, possibly, whereby anti-Semitism is not punished but rewarded. Um, they may have, they have a couple of show trials of people who are too averse to anti-Semitism, but no one is truly, very few people are expelled. Uh, no one is cut off. Uh, friends of Hamas, supporters of, of, of violent anti-Semitism have been accepted as parliamentary candidates just before the election. What's the difference? Uh, I think that what the, the Liberal Democrats' action, and Ashok Ahmed wasn't the only candidate they kicked, the Liberal Democrat action does show that there are some in the left who still recognize anti-Semitism to be an evil uh, for the Labour Party, for its supporters, and for apparently 66% of the British, young British electorate to, between 18 and 24 that voted for the Labour Party, anti-Semitism is now acceptable. Uh, so at least somewhere in the left there are people who recognize this evil. Thank you. Are there any other questions, Ellen? Not right now, no. Okay. Uh, my follow-up would be, you mentioned the mosques, the prisons, the Islamist schools. While uh, Theresa May is holding on to power, is there any sense of urgency to address those areas that seem to uh, send out uh, new recruits with uh, some of the uh, hostile, hostile messages that are coming from all three of those, if they know where those centers are, what political will is lacking to um, make the most of the time that they have to address it? Mm. This is why um, I rather miss the last Prime Minister, David Cameron, who, uh, when he came into office, was saying similar things to Theresa May. But very quickly, he started to realize that non-violent Islamism or lawful Islamism is not a bulwark against uh, violent Islamism. Now, under his watch, uh, Cameron, uh, David Cameron uh, said very clearly that, that the terrorist acts, those who commit terrorist acts, often have graduated to violence through, at first, non-violent organizations. And so under his watch, there was the Trojan horse scandal, the, the discovery that uh, Islamists had taken control of taxpayer-funded uh, Muslim faith schools. 
uh, he wanted full investigations. Uh, there was uh, examinations into the role of Islamists in, in prisons. Cameron got it. He understood the threat and started to do something about it. He even ordered the Muslim Brotherhood inquiry, the most comprehensive inquiry into the activities in the Muslim Brotherhood done by any Western government, which concluded that nonviolent Islamism, like the Muslim Brotherhood, is a threat to our national security. Now, Theresa May, when she was Home Secretary, uh, she set up something called the uh, Extremism Unit, or the Counter-Extremism Unit. <coughs> I'm sorry. And uh, this was led by a man called Charles Farr. Now, Charles Farr held the old-fashioned left-wing view that Islamism is a bulwark against violent Islamism, um, uh, an idea that's preposterous. It would be, as others have said, it would be like turning to a far-right fascist party in order to defeat a violent neo-Nazi terrorist organization. So Charles Farr runs, uh, ran Theresa May's counter-extremism program. I don't think it's uh, uh, too uh, difficult to believe that uh, Theresa May believes what Charles Farr believes, that somehow uh, Muslim community organizations, even if they're run by people who say hate Jews, hate gays, hate women, hate the West, uh, I think Theresa May thinks that they're not the problem. She regards ISIS these online propaganda things that, as I say, make the good newspaper headlines if they're defeated or, or taken down or censored in some way, are really the only threat. Or she knows and, and understands that, that Islamism in Muslim communities is a problem, but doesn't want the backlash of dealing with it, of saying that Islam in prison has a problem, uh, it encourages violence, it encourages hatred, and that if we are to solve Islamist ideology, as she has promised, we must deal with the control Islamist influence in the communities, and we must we must stop it. We must end them. We must get rid of this extremist ideology. I don't think she can do that. She doesn't want to. She's uh, she lacks the courage, um, especially now that Corbyn is so close to taking the reins of power. I don't think we're going to see any any kind of action from Theresa May. Uh, Britain needs new leadership. I I see that in the U.S. there's uh, still um, feet dragging regarding uh, having the Muslim Brotherhood declared terrorist organization. I can only imagine in England where I read the estimate is that out of a group of 23,000 that the security services are concerned about, there are 3,000 of them that they consider posing a jihadist threat and they're overwhelmed. Is she concerned that if she takes a firm stance to... Uh, pull the plug on these conveyor belt organizations, she'll have a greater problem, or is it possible that she could actually be seen as effective? I, when it comes to Theresa May, I think it ultimately uh, uh, comes to, to, to nervousness, to cowardice on this issue. She always uh, opposed uh, Cameron's anti-Islamist drive uh, during her time in government, and in fact, it was a reason for quite a few spectacular public arguments between the British cabinet uh, five years ago. Uh, I don't think, uh, as I said before, that Theresa May will, will do the right thing. She understands the scale of the problem in terms of the jihadist threat. 23,000 people is a large number, and of course, that is only the ones we know about. Um, uh, so she's promised better counterterrorism strategies, more funds for security services and so on. But this will do nothing to solve the underlying cause, the ideology. And, uh, I, you know, Britain is certainly not going to ban the Muslim Brotherhood anytime soon. There are plenty of other different Islamist networks that also have a great deal of control within uh, the British Muslim community. Um, 
Theresa May, as I said, is just is just not the, the person to do this. She has failed to understand the nature, the makeup of Islam. It's it's incredibly diverse number of different political religious sects. She's failed to understand the role that non-violent Islamist ideology plays, and she continues to play the politically correct game of every time she wants to talk about Islamist terrorism, talking about Islamism as, as to quote her, a perversion of truth. Uh, this kind of mindset is, is not the, the talk of someone who knows how to solve a problem. Um, as I say, pessimistic. <laughs> yeah, it's discouraging. All right, uh, thank you. Uh, we have one caller left in the queue. Can you take that call, Sam? Yes, of course. All right, all right. Ellen, please. Thank you. We'll take our next caller. Uh, if you wish to identify yourself, please do so. Go ahead with your question, please. Uh, yes, this is uh, Jerry Stern. Uh, a few minutes ago, you, you mentioned that there were no organized groups in Europe who were, um, who were uh, anti-Islamist, uh, uh, that were organized in any way and had any clout uh, that were anti-Islamist or uh, were in favor of restricting immigration. Uh, and you made an exception for some of these fascist uh, groups on the far right, um, which don't have uh, large numbers or much clout. Um, however, I, I uh, noticed that you hadn't mentioned uh, Marine Le Pen's National Front or Geert Wilders' party, which I believe has the uh, second largest representation in, in the Dutch parliament. Uh, I don't think one could, would portray those groups as, as, as fascist far-right organizations. Um, so is there a reason why you had omitted mention of those two parties? Uh, no, I mean, firstly, I was talking about European-wide parties. Gert Wilders is uh, an interesting politician and one of the few, I think, who is prepared to say uh, what needs to be said. I don't agree with him on everything, but I wouldn't ever call him far-right. Marine Le Pen, on the other hand, I do believe, uh, is unpleasant. I think her party is unpleasant. I think uh, it's not just her father who was a Holocaust denier. Marine Le Pen herself has for years worked with Holocaust deniers, with uh, extremists. She's even worked with Islamists. Um, there's this bizarre situation in France in which certain members of the uh, uh, hardcore, hardline Islamists have joined forces with the far right because they share a common enemy, the Jews. Now, certainly elements of, of the Front National have reformed, uh, at least on, on paper they've reformed, but I continue to see a very dangerous party in the far right, and frankly I do not really see Marine Le Pen as being that different from Corbyn in any other uh, uh, subject but, but, but Islamism. Um, I do not think she offers a solution to, to the threat of radical Islam in Europe. I think she is a threat to, to everyone, and um, it is tempting when right-wing groups step up to oppose the, the, the insanity and the denial and the stupidity of the left to always back them. Just as Islamists exploit the left, so too does the far right exploit genuine conservative anger about what the left are doing. Marine Le Pen uh, is, is one of those far right members. She may not be waving a swastika, but her behavior uh, and the continued links to extremists uh, do not give me any hope that she is somehow able to, to provide a moderate or even reasonable solution to, to Europe's crisis. Thank you, Sam. We've come to the end of our time today. It's 4.32. The Forum thanks Sam Westrup for laying out the challenge that lies ahead, and hopefully this is yet another wake-up call to the West. And we thank our participants for calling in. This concludes our conference call.